We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst, joined by Simon Campbell tonight, and we've got once again very special guest, uh, Matthew Raisbeck, joins us live in Seton Delaville to talk through his season as uh, Chief Commentator for BBC Radio Newcastle. Uh, Matthew, welcome. Thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me back. Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what has unfolded over the past 48 hours with Rafa Benitez as well and his future in the speculation linking him with West Ham United. So, uh, Si, do you want to take us away? Um, Where am I taking us? Oh, don't know. Any way you want, <laughs> you want to. We're Just not to West Ham. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess I guess it was just an overview of what what's the season been like with Rafa. I mean, we've we've as as a fan base, we've seen more ups and downs in in the space of thirty eight games. Than I think ever before, like we've seen Rafa buzzing, we've seen everyone buzzing. We've been through nine defeats in a row and we sh- showing real signs of cracking. And then the last four games before Chelsea, we saw a really pissed off Rafa Benitez, and everyone was kind of like, "Oh, we're going to end on a really sour note here." Just kind of for you, how's it been? The, the ups and downs, ups and downs. Yeah, that sums it up really. The highs have been fantastic, haven't they? Obviously getting back into the Premier League and then um, going on a decent run uh, after losing the first two matches. And then, you know, you you look at the highs since Christmas, some of those results and performances have been fabulous. But the lows, the nine-match run without a win, October, November, December... The last four matches before Chelsea had you concerned um, and you wondered where they were going to finish. And obviously that has a financial implication as well, but they managed to get into 10th spot. So it has been very up and down. Um, But obviously here we are again for the third summer running. Um, We're not sure where Rafa Benitez is going to be because we had it after relegation. He stayed. We had it last summer as well. And then um, within a week of the season ending, Mike Ashley put out that statement and we've had another statement from Mike Ashley but obviously we've got the the West Ham situation now so um, here we are again you know um, on, a, on a downward curve potentially with Newcastle but that is just the club isn't it it's up and down I think the season as a whole went far better than anybody could have realistically expected and think back to the to the the sense of trepidation that was there last summer when the players weren't coming in and the manager was exasperated and then you lose your first two games, Huddersfield in particular, and the windows open and there's still the transfer issue and they didn't sign anybody after that Huddersfield match because Hosselu came in after Spurs and before Huddersfield and then you were really worried. Um, so to go from that point to finish 10th, to beat some of the big teams, to get some great results, to play the way they have individually and collectively means that on the whole, it's been fantastic. But within that, it really has fluctuated, hasn't it? You've had every emotion possible. Um, but that's football, that's why we love it. And that's Newcastle United. And will it ever be different? No, of course it won't. <laughs> it will never be different because that is just what the club is. Yeah, I mean, you've talked about some some of the big games there. I mean, for you, was was there a particular favourite of, of this season? I mean, we, we've we've talked about this on a on our end of season show, and there's quite a few to pick, and we couldn't really choose. But was there well, a, choose, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. As as, as commentator, was was there a particular favourite? Um, well, Spurs first match of the season was interesting because the first thing you noticed was, whoa, this is quicker, and this is better football than last season, and then you think. All right, yeah, you know, you're back in the big time. Um, West Ham away was really gratifying, and here we are talking about West Ham again, but the circumstances of that victory 
and um, the magnitude of it were, I think, really, um, really meaningful. You know, Henri Seve gives the ball away for a goal and then goes and puts a free kick in. I mean, we didn't even expect him to start. And they won that game with a team that would never have been anybody's first choice for a Premier League match. And it got them into a position where they're out the bottom three at Christmas, having gone in the week before by losing to Arsenal. So that one for me stands out. And it was their new ground, West Ham, a new stadium, dramatic game, the penalty save. It was Christmas. Everyone was happy. Um, and I think the obvious other one is Manchester United at home because it just, again, it was just so meaningful. It had gone into the relegation zone at kickoff. I didn't fancy us. John Anderson, who does the co-commentary for BBC Newcastle, as soon as he got to the ground, said... I fancy us today, and and he's not. It's normally the other way around. I normally think we're going to beat everybody, and he's no, I'm not sure about this. And he was right, happily, uh, and I was wrong. And they were brilliant. Everybody was brilliant. The it was just to beat Manchester United is always special, but it meant so much more this time. And obviously, Arsenal and Chelsea, you'll you'll never forget. And winning at Leicester was was hugely significant. But I think West Ham away and Manchester United at home. Were, were by far, by far the best results. There's been some obviously disappointing results and some games that haven't been so memorable or so good, but um, those two really stick out for me. Am I right in thinking that you commentated on every single game? Yes. So that you're pretty, in terms of people who've seen what's gone on, I mean, even your fellow journalists, you know, probably haven't been every single game, so there's not many who've been able to see the team live as, as often as you. I'm sure there are one or two fans who do every single trip, but but definitely not many. No one I know certainly has done all 38-plus cup games. Um, and the EFL trophy. Really, the EFL trophy? Oh, we were there for that, right. yeah. That was that was an interesting experiment. Yeah, yeah. Um, could be a big fixture in the EFL trophy next season when League One Sunderland <laughs> take to it. Um, with their first team, yeah. Yeah, with their first team. My question was going to be, have you have you enjoyed this season more than last season? And if if so, why? And if not, why not? Because obviously we won a lot more games last season. So which which would you prefer? How have you preferred? That's a really good question because it's a difficult one to answer. Because I think whenever you follow your team, you want to see them win rather than lose. And there will be some fans who will, who may well say, "Well, the championship was better because." Week after week, we were you know we were winning. I know there were a couple of, of poor runs in that season comparatively, but um, being in the Premier League is where you want to be. It's where Newcastle United should be. We all feel that. We all know that. Um, that's certainly what Rafa Benitez thinks. That's why he stayed, and he only wants to take the club higher in the Premier League. So I think, I think everything has meant more this season because they're in the Premier League, but. Um, last season was in the championship was just about doing a job so you got you got the gratification from knowing that it was job done this year i think it's just meant it's just meant that little bit more when you're able to go to clubs who are mid table in the premier league who've got more money than newcastle who spent more money who have been in the premier league for longer in their current spell and going there and playing well and and then it makes you think yeah you know what we're back we're back now. We're on a par with these teams. We can we can overtake them and get back to where we were and where we all feel that the club should be. So in that sense, I think this season's been more enjoyable. Um, if from a media perspective, and my colleague Nick Barnes at BBC Newcastle, who does Sunderland and previously did Newcastle for five years, says that he's noticed after 10 years in the Premier League with Sunderland, there's so much less hassle in the championship because there's not as much live TV, there's not as much media interest. So his job is easier. And of course, there are more games to report on and commentate on. Uh, But when you're in the Premier League, there are international rights holders. I think at the weekend, um, Italian TV were there. I think French TV were there and and they all want a piece of the post-match action. So from a media perspective, it can get quite complicated. And and after a game, things can be elongated because there's so many people there. Uh, whereas the Championship, and obviously for Nick, League One next season won't quite be like that. Um, so that's the side of it that he and I see. But nothing beats winning in the Premier League, does it? And especially the way in which Newcastle have won and some of those results as well. I mean, I'm quite shocked that Italian TV and French TV won't be interested in the in the fortunes of Sunderland in League One next season, but that'll be a shame. 
To be fair, they were probably there to see Chelsea. <laughs> no, <sorry. laughs> Conte, yeah. yeah. But then Rafa speaks Italian and managed two Italian clubs, so I, I think he may have done an interview with them as well. He did speak to some Italian media, didn't he? And there have been some quotes knocking around at the start of the week, so maybe it came from that, but um, that, that's what you get at Premier League games now. I'm sure Norwegian TV were at one of the matches earlier in the season. It Because it's obviously a global game and a global brand, every match is shown somewhere and often in several countries at once, and sometimes they have English speakers um, come over and, and, and do and do the interviews. So um, that's the nature of the Premier League now. It's very different to the Championship. And, and of course, every match as well is filmed with multiple cameras. So in, in the Championship on, on Channel 5, sometimes you get one camera, whereas this season we get the luxury of seeing everything several times from several different positions. And those are the things, little things that I guess for fans when you're trying to watch a game or watch the highlights that you notice when you don't have all the camera angles, things like that. So, you know, little differences like that in the Premier League. Do you think that, having seen all the games this season and worked closely with Rafa and seen a lot of what's going on, do you think that this team is the 10th best in the Premier League? Do you think we've, we've earned 10th place or do you think we've kind of, we've overachieved? Do you think that's, as, that's way better than we should have done? They've given absolutely everything and they deserve all of the, the praise they've been getting. I think they've exceeded expectations, but there is some quality there and that quality plus the commitment and endeavour, the attitude and the instructions from the manager, you know, make it a team greater than the sum of its parts and that's what's got them higher in the table um you know it was goal difference that did it at the end so he was vindicated wasn't he Manchester City and away and you know that in terms of prize money I think if they'd lost to Chelsea would they've been 13th 14th 14th so what's that eight million pounds that 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 one match you could say has got them because didn't Bournemouth ship a few to Manchester City West Ham obviously lost heavily um, I'm trying to think Watford were, were in the mix as well so um, I think I saw somebody say on Twitter the other day actually that even if we'd lost like both games to Man City by four goals we still would have been above these teams on goal difference yeah. such well, as the well, season yeah, we've had Palace, 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 with, Palace, sorry, yeah, Palace yeah. with the other ones yeah because yeah, they obviously had, they had a great run and Roy Hodgson did incredibly well there um, so yeah he's he's got them there but the players have have done their best and and the thing is it's about a team this time isn't it and give me this team any day above the one that we had you know in 2013-14 when we finished 10th and then it was a failure because they'd had a great a great run hadn't they and were 6th or 7th um in and around christmas time and it all just fell away didn't it um that was i think the year remy would have been in the team playing up front Pardy was the manager. It was the obviously the headbutt with David Myler at Hull, and it all just fell away. And they'd done so well that yeah. they were able just to sort of not move and stay tenth. Whereas this time they've really had to work for it and kind of scraped in there. But I'd much rather have this team giving everything, doing their best with this manager, than obviously that that group and doing it in the way that they did because then they underachieved. Now they have you would say overachieved, but. Um, it, when you look at it like that and compare it to that season, it, it's it's been fantastic, and you can take so much pleasure out of the way that they've got to tenth this time. I think it's the same for for any club. The way that you do the season, um, you look at Leicester, bad end of the season. If if their manager had 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 come in later and got them to ninth place, I'm sure he wouldn't be in any danger at all. But the team you mentioned then, thirteen, fourteen, I think we got forty eight points, which would have us. Seventh, nearly now, just below Burnley. And it's, it's weird, isn't it? How this, the context of the season's kind of stats. It's like Everton and Allardyce. If you look at the stats, you did an all right job. Stats don't actually tell you uh, all of the story. I'm sure you know they're useful in the league table. Yeah, useful, but isn't this a record low point for so tenth place? Robson's yeah. first two seasons, fifty-one and fifty-two points. That again, you'd be up in seventh place now. But yeah. that was a disappointment. Not the first season, but the second season was really disappointing. I mean, we were, we're all similar age, I think. Twice. Yeah. yeah, but we were much younger. But I still remember the disappointment in that second season and the sense of underachievement. And it's a good job 
Twitter wasn't about them and stuff because yeah. people would be right, angrier and there was no suggestion of him losing his job or anything like that. But you do remember, like, we lost eight games or something in a row this season and then four near the end. We've, we've had some re- lots of defeats and yet we've still finished 10th. And it's, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's just when you think about it like that, we've, we, there's a lot of games we've lost, a lot of points we didn't get. So just the Premier League, there was a, a gulf and the top four get way more points than everyone else now. Do you think, Matthew, that the the players felt at any point as if there were a relegation threatened side or did, did, did the self-belief ever seep out of them I think it was eight defeats in nine side mm-hmm. that run you're talking about I don't know how many defeats it was in a row. It, 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 it was four, four and then a draw at West, West Brom, Brom and then yeah. another four yeah. so they lost four in a row three times th- this recent run and then those two October, November and then again in December so I mean, yeah like you say to do that three times in a row in it, well three times in a season four defeats in a row and then yeah get get tenth is incredible but yeah, do you think, because you interview the players every week, was there ever kind of a sense of despondency there or, or was that self-belief evidence? There was, there was definitely an, an air of concern because of the, of the results. Um, what Rafa Benitez would always say is that if you look at the matches and go back to Burnley, which I think was the first one of those defeats, that was a Monday night, wasn't it, in October, could have gone either way probably. They, they shaded it 1-0 and then you had Bournemouth at home who won it in the, in the last minute. Um, and obviously Manchester United away uh, without Lascelles and I think we know the stats about Lascelles and and the goals conceded when he wasn't playing Um, so yes and Chelsea was in that run as well but I think most of those games apart from Watford at home which was a bad one um, they just lost narrowly so I think they always felt that they were in touch I remember Everton at home, they hit the woodwork twice, Everton scored once and then Allardyce just shut it all down, killed the game and they got the three points. So while they were never getting battered every week and it was tight in that sense, I think they always felt that they had a chance because they weren't far away. But when you're losing, obviously you are going to be concerned and I understand the the level of alarm among the fans because we felt it too watching it and thinking... Can't lose today, surely. If you know, we lose, we'll be in the bottom three or we'll only be a couple of points clear. And then you lose and then you are you are increasingly concerned. But um, that's why I picked West Ham as, 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 as a match that's so memorable because, because it just put an end to that run of defeats against a team that was down there as well. And that, I think, really signalled the change. That, that start, you lost to Man City in the next match, but then after that, um, drew with Brighton beat Stoke and things you know started to improve from then on in so um, yeah they were concerned but even privately I'd, I you know even when you switch the microphone off you know no player said oh you know we are really worried yes the confidence is going to be lower when you're losing that's obvious but I don't think there was because they were in touch and and a lot of the matches were tight I don't think they ever felt that they were um, you know really really in trouble but you look at the table and they were and they had to deliver and this team two years running when it's mattered has really delivered oh good answer um and i suppose the same the same thing applies to the um just uh, i'll just 60 minutes anytime you want to stop you know just stop if you've got to take a call or text i'll edit this bit out but um the um that was nobody you can leave that bit in it's fine it's nothing important (laughs) I can't read it out. Um, that was it's nobody. It's definitely Rafa. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so same applies to Rafa. How is he consistent with you throughout the season, or does his mood reflect what's going on on the pitch? He's brilliant all the time before the match. Um, after the match, when they've lost, he he doesn't have a lot to say. Um, we were at Spurs at Wembley, um, and I remember he he did his radio interview with this three or four of us there and it was it was about three minutes which in terms of radio interviews not that long normally after a good result you'll get double that he went and did his t he went and did his main press conference with the print media and he was probably three minutes again because he doesn't have much to say when they've lost he doesn't really want to talk about it obviously it, it, it hurts him um before the match he's wonderful and and what you see from him um, is what we get. There's no act. He is, um, you know, he is as gregarious and as sincere as he appears to to anybody that hasn't met him when they see him on TV or or read 
um, quotes from him in, in articles. And he's very generous with his time. And it doesn't matter whether the team is winning or losing. He he will he would talk to you all day, um, and he'll 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 talk about um, bad results and bad runs, particularly before the match. He's very expansive, and he'll explain why. Um, he loves his stats, and he'll put some of those in. Um, sometimes when you stop recording, it just gets even better. And, you know, the things that obviously he will he will talk to you about um, are really interesting and, and really revealing. Sometimes it can be about nothing related to football at all. Um, but even during the bad runs, he was still making time for the, for the media and chatting for 10, 15, 20 minutes, you know, after you've done the interview about football, about other things. Um, and what you always got was that this is somebody who just loves football, who loves people, but really enjoys his job. Might not enjoy the results when they're not going well, but absolutely loves the challenge of managing Newcastle United. And um, that is true. And and what we're hearing now, obviously, about his future is concerning, but um, he wants to be here. He wants to stay. And, and you've, we've never got the impression at any point this season that this is somebody who's looking for a way out at all. All we get is the impression that this is somebody who wants to be here for the long term. He was frustrated by the poor form and disappointing results, but he was always focused on turning it around. And I think he always had the belief that it would turn. Belief in himself, his methods and the players being able to um, to harness that. Um, and he's, he's just a joy to work with from a media perspective, particularly for radio as well, because I think in Spain... Um, you know, radio is 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 really seen as quite important. So he brings that across, and he's very good with us and very generous with his time, um, and he's 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 just great to work with. We're very very lucky to have the access that we do to him, uh, and I think it makes you realise just how lucky Newcastle United is to have him as the manager, and and hopefully um, for this season and beyond. What was the thinking behind the um, listener? Chat, Albert. Whose well, idea was that? How did it come about? Well, this is this has gone this has gone down a treat actually. Um, Albert from Wooler, who rings in Total Sport on BBC Newcastle regularly, really popular just because of it. You know, he's he's in his seventies. He's watched Newcastle a lot. Um, he's he's quite no nonsense. He's got a nice thick Northumbrian accent, and um, it's just what he's quite memorable. And people text in saying they enjoy his appearances. And he came to visit us from Wooler in North Northumberland uh, earlier in the year. And we just thought, wouldn't it be nice, because he can't go to matches anymore, if we could get Albert to meet Rafa. And we had to think about it, and uh, we put it to the club. Look, can he you know, come along to the press conference on Friday, just meet Rafa, maybe, you know, sort of shake his hand. And, and they said, look, Rafa's fine with that, come along. You know, he can have a chat with Rafa. He can, he can you know, ask some questions. And that was it. And again, that just that just shows you, you know, you've got a manager who's won the Champions League. He's at Newcastle United, and he'll give ten minutes plus to um, a supporter who's who's travelled a long way to meet him for a piece of content for a radio station and their and their social media outlets. And and he treated it seriously. He let us film it, put microphones on them, you know, treated it like you would any any other interview. Um, and yeah, we just got Albert down to ask Rafa some questions. He asked him about Mike Ashley. He asked him about if he's going to stay. He talked a lot about young players and transfers and 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 certain individuals in the team. And it was, you know, he can, he sort of asked the thing that he he can get away with, which some people in the media maybe wouldn't ask so directly because it's it's a completely different setup. But yeah, it was just an idea that we had. Um, they decided to frame it as though I couldn't go to the press conference on Friday. They said I was queuing for boy band tickets, which was not true. I was there as well, but we just we we had to present it to Albert in a way that you know made it seem like you know yeah, yeah. yeah he he would have the chance one on one with Rafa, which we did. And again, another sign of how good Rafa is. We still did our him and I and and Graham Courtney from Talksport, who's usually there, still did our usual ten minute piece with Rafa on top of that. And then after he did us, he did, well, he did TV, he did us, he did Albert, he did uh, national and local newspapers, he did the Chronicle, he then spoke to Guillaume Balaguer from Sky. So, you know, this is a couple of hours after training that he's making for media because he understands it's important. But like I say, he just makes time for everybody and will talk to people 
about football, about Newcastle United, and it's very, very rare that he will say no to anything. And I think that's just a measure of the man and you know just how good he is from a media perspective to work with and how, how accommodating and understanding he is. It's, it's really interesting to hear you say how, how different he is before and after a game, especially if we've, if we've lost and how open he is compared to the three minutes you might get with him with after. And it's, he's not, from, from our perspective, he's not very good at hiding his emotions post-match because you can see the buzz when we've won a game and you can also see how furious he is if we've lost and just depending on the manner of the defeat and if it's a performance issue or, or if we've been done over by the referee or whatever it is. Um, but the other thing you notice in Rafa is, is he's just a funny man and mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to ask you what... Has there been a particularly funny moment this season like that's, that's, that's really memorable or is there anything that you can tell us that's happened? Well, just, just on your first point there, obviously after, after a defeat, I've just gone through some of the pre-match media commitments and all, a lot of these are contractual. Um, uh, you know, We have a contract, BBC Newcastle, with the club for access to the manager one-on-one and players and commentary. Um, and obviously newspapers do and TV do as well. So he has to do all of that. And he's got to do that after a match, win or lose. Um, so it's obviously when you've lost, you don't want to talk. But even after a match with Newcastle have lost in the corridor in the media suite, he'll still meet supporters. And it was after the West Brom game, the most recent home defeat. There was a young lad there and he came over to him. There was pictures. He signed something, pat on the shoulder, little chat. So, you know, he put it aside for that. And, and he you know, he doesn't take it out on people, but he'll still make time for fans no matter the result. And I guess a lot of managers do that as well. But just when you see somebody of his calibre and stature doing that at Newcastle United, it, again, it just serves as another reminder of, of what, a, what a fine manager and fine person he is. Um, in terms of sort of funny moments, um, he's he is funny and he's, he's opinionated and um, he'll talk to you about football and, and various things going on in football. Um, but before we do uh, our radio interviews, and I think this is a radio-only thing, but I believe he did it at Liverpool, um, he, he says, basically, because he is Spanish and speaks to us in English, we have to speak to him in Spanish. <laughs> so um, I did Spanish at school for a year. Um, I really should start learning it properly. Um, so every week before the interview, I have learned or so I think, a phrase or a question in Spanish. Uh, something that I say to him, put to him. So he comes in the room. We actually do the interview in the groundsman's office. Uh, and uh, Mick, the groundsman, sometimes comes in and out um, when, we're, when we're doing the interviews. But again, Rafa, no problem. Great with all the staff. And, and um, he will come in and say, come on, come on. So I'll give him something in Spanish. And he's, right, sit down. And then he just pulls it apart, tells me that it's wrong. And we have a colleague at work who is from Madrid and who grew up in the same estate that Rafa's mother lives in now. And she's been to one of the press conferences, so you can imagine his delight at that. And they had a long chat about that, um, which is one of the many things he he loves to talk about. He drew me a map of Spain once before (laughs) a press conference because I can't remember what we were talking about. Um, oh, we've obviously done the um, uh, the, the the Catalonia um, issue. We've talked to him about that, but yeah, if it wasn't that that triggered it, but he drew a map of Spain and drew on the regions, and then I've still got it in my bag. I'm not going to get rid of it, and that's just because you get him going on one thing, and suddenly he gets his teeth into it, and he wants to, you know, go over over it in detail and and make you learn something. So whether it's a phrase or a question. Um, you know about um, you know are you going to go on holiday this year Rafa because you didn't go on holiday last year that's something that I asked him a few weeks ago uh, in Spanish Um, you know he he really really just picks it apart he analyzes it and even if it's right he'll say that's good but you could have done it like this so if he's like that with us me and Graham Courtney from from Talk Sport who used to be Newcastle press officer in the 90s and you know someone that Rafa actually knows quite well um, away from um, Newcastle United. Can you imagine what he's like with the players when he's got the DVD out, when he's got them in a room for a meeting, individually or collectively? You know, he'll, he'll have 20 minutes with us on the geography of Spain or um, the way that you use a certain verb in Spanish or stresses on vowels and things like that. You can imagine how in-depth and detailed 
and thorough he is with the players, you know, just analyses to the nth degree everything, absolutely everything. But it's it's brilliant to see and, and it's a privilege to be in and around so so frequently. Before we get on to Rafa's future and, and your um, thoughts or opinions on that, um, is there a, a ground you've enjoyed being back at or visiting this season from a, well, give me both answers from a kind of football supporter's perspective and also from a media perspective in terms of how easy it was to broadcast, how welcome you were made to feel by the staff of mm-hmm. that club? Um, well, there was a lot of new grounds for me this season, uh, so I think every, everyone was exciting and even some of them that I'd been to a couple of times before, it's always nice to go back because um, in the cases of, of many of them, I think apart from Brighton and Huddersfield, it had been a few years. So uh, I guess that's the same as a fan if you've been somewhere before, but a few years later, you probably look forward to it more than if you go every year. Um, I really enjoyed Chelsea because I was curious to see what it looked like. It's a lot smaller than it seems on TV. Um, the the food for the media there is particularly good, as John Anderson <laughs> will tell you. And you just help yourself as many times as you want. Um, again, that's one of the, the perks that we're, we're lucky to enjoy. Um, uh, Stoke, they filled in the corner on the far side, but there's something about it that, I was going to say, leaves you cold, literally, because it's not a warm place. But this, this, I think a lot of fans don't like the away section at Stoke. Um, and that's... You know, it's it's on a bad working position. You're quite high up, halfway line sort of area, which is where you want to be in the middle, high enough to see the far side of the pitch. It's better than being too low down. Um, yeah, that's that's probably one, I think, one of most people's least favourite ones. But it's a Premier League ground and the facilities are pretty good, actually. And it's, it's a rel- relatively new ground, 20 years old. Best ground in terms of atmosphere. Um... That's a tough one. I'll have a little think about that one. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll 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 have one for you. Huddersfield was pretty loud, but it was their first uh, Premier League match at home. Um, best best place to work at, I think, is Leicester, yeah. because of the position that you're at and the room that you've got. And obviously, um, you know, we have notebooks and and various things. Some obviously newspaper reports have laptops, iPads, whatever. But you need a bit of space to write down. You need a bit of room either side to get out. If you do, we do Facebook videos with a tripod. So you need space to set all that up. Leicester are really good and, and look after you well from a media um, perspective. Wembley's incredible. Um, we've been there for cup finals before. But I don't know how you found it, um, but it's you know you just wish it was a cup final i got a question for you about Wembley so do the media have some sort of special train that runs to them or do you have to wait for two and a half hours like <laughs> everyone else I presume you're not going back into London well I don't know maybe you were going back into London but did you did you drive did you so well I, I'll tell you our pre-match routine generally in, in a minute but no Wembley we we got the train down in the morning um we were on one that was it was delayed might have been the one you were on a lot of fans were on it um, just gave them the chance to open a few more cans, yeah. um, which is fair enough. Uh, but no, we stayed in Wembley um, just because it's, it's if you've got the train down, you haven't got a car to get back. And then we went back the next the next morning from Wembley uh, up through King's Cross. But that is one of the downsides, isn't it? Getting the, away, yeah, getting yeah. away from a from a match. And when we leave an away game that we've gone to by public transport uh, at five, well six o'clock on a Saturday, we. We see that, we feel that as well. Um, that's 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 tough, isn't it? That's yeah, tough. Yeah. Waiting in, in queues, especially when your team's lost, being crammed on a on a train as well. Um, but Wembley's incredible. Um, we are on the side where behind the benches uh, to the to the right, but on the far side from the camera. So if you're watching TV pictures, we're sort of on the left. Um, but decent position, but but brilliant facilities for the media. Um, yeah, just that, that one about atmosphere, because there have been a lot of matches where where it goes quiet, and that 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 does happen. Um, but yeah, Huddersfield was was particularly loud. West Ham was difficult because it's so open, and there were there were some empty seats near us. Although um, Brighton was good, there's no way you can't mm-hmm. Brighton's. I mean, particularly in the second half when the score that was pretty low. I was not a huge fan of, you know, it's another ground that's miles away from everywhere in terms of the city centre and where we were staying. 
I drove back after that one actually. Um, but yeah, Brighton. I think Huddersfield saw you had a, a bonus pick with that. Uh, we're convinced. I don't know if we've ever had it confirmed. We're convinced though that some of that crowd music was being played through the speakers at Huddersfield. <laughs> yeah, well, and there was definitely the a drum that wasn't that being was played actually, on a drum. It was there, was. there was no drum next to us, but there was a drum, and we're like, "Is that is that coming through the speakers?" No, I've never seen it confirmed. It might oh, just be us. Well, we didn't see a drummer either. Um, yeah. But maybe, maybe it's been done right. before. Yeah. I, I, we're, we're convinced that the crowd noises were being added to by more fictional crowd noises. Doesn't mean it still wasn't loud or good atmosphere. Yeah. I just think it's a weird thing to do by the club. <laughs> yeah, the Southampton gave out clappers to the fans before the match right. and put them out on the seats. And I think if you need to do that, then perhaps yeah. there's a, you know, there's there's an issue with generating generating noise and excitement. Leicester City have kind of killed that that though, haven't they? Because they had clappers the season they won the league and it's it's hard to criticise after the team's won the league by creating that, that atmosphere. I don't know if it was the atmosphere like, but... Well, you know. <laughs> might have been the really good footballer, <laughs> good manager, but... Crystal Palace is pretty loud. I think that's yeah. probably, probably, the, probably the noisiest, um, you know, when, when, when it got going, leaving St. James's Park to one side, which at times this season has been deafening. And and you know you can't hear yourselves think, which is which is what what that place is and, and what it should be. Um, but yeah, again, an old ground that they're looking to. They've got the plans through, haven't they? It's been approved the redevelopment yeah. of the main stand, so that maybe will lose some of its character. But I'm sure it will it will look really nice. But I'm pleased they stayed up because because that ground is yeah. I mean that's a proper football ground, I think. Um, so that yeah, in terms of atmosphere, probably probably the best that and Huddersfield. I have a question for you, which is very specific, and you might not remember it, but West Brom, I was listening to that from Poland to you and John, and there was a fan when Jacob Murphy failed to do whatever the fan demanded that he do, kind of, you could hear him audibly swear, well, this is the truth, but he said, you're shit, Murphy, or something like that, he listens, I used to swear on this podcast, um, and you had to apologise, so my question is, is that fan intentionally walked by you? to kind of have that broadcast because there isn't anything else. Any time I've listened, and we were, mm-hmm. me and Si were in Australia for the whole of the winter pretty much at the Ashes, so we listened to, to a lot of games, um, which again, I'll just, I've tweeted this, like fair play to the club for putting out for free. Yeah, we'd have been stuffed. Yeah. Well, would have, wouldn't have been stuffed, would have paid for it, but the club probably yeah. know they could make some money out of that, but choose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is, is that a problem where fans come and try and get something over the airways or is that just some bloke who was lost? Who? <laughs> no, he was, sit- he was sitting next to us, sitting really? to our right. Um, because where we sit, and if you know St. James's Park, we're, we're behind the benches. Um, that's the uh, that's where radio and print media sit. TV, Sky, Match of the Day, or whoever else are higher up, just below um, the the um, hospitality boxes, kind of behind the, where where the directors sit, um, but still in in the Melbourne stand. So so we are we are really next to to, to fans on in the lower section of the Melbourne. So yes, yeah, sometimes you pick it up because we have two headsets. Um, so we can hear our studio and we have a mic on there and we have a third mic microphone for crowd noise and obviously you just picked it up there and and if any swearing comes through obviously we have to apologize um um i mean it won't be us swearing hopefully but it's it's a member of the, of, of the crowd i guess in a football match you are probably going to hear things like that um but no no one no one walked past there was a really noisy and um uh there was a fan who I assume got director's box tickets for Christmas for the Manchester City match because we'd never seen or heard him before. He was right behind us on the on the front row and the language was colourful and there was a lot of shouting and it was a night game so, you know, people have had a bit longer to enjoy themselves in the day and I think we had to apologise a couple of times uh, for that um, but that's, that's just what happens. Some grounds you are really close to the fans at, at Bournemouth I mean, we were almost sitting. There was a there was segregation, but not much, and we we're pretty much sitting next to fans. Um, and Newcastle scored twice, so you know, while you're there to do a job, and and they had their glory in the second half when they scored twice. You know, you, you don't want to you don't want to upset them and make eye contact with them and and wind them up. So some places you have to be a little bit careful, but um, yeah, at a football ground, you're going to hear that. Uh, kind of kind of language aren't you the only place that someone's ever come up and shouted at us <laughs> or shouted in one of our microphones was um four years ago 
Grimsby against Gateshead. Uh, conference playoff semi-final. First leg, 1-1 there. Gateshead won, got to Wembley uh, and lost. But a Grimsby fan really upset that they hadn't won the first leg. Was sitting behind us, shouting at us, telling us we're biased. Well, obviously we're there not to cover it from Grimsby's perspective. And it, I mean, this is this is a man who, by looking at him, was probably in his fifties. Went and got our third microphone, one for the crowd noise. Picked it up and just screamed "Town, Grimsby Town!" into the microphone and then threw his arm in the air and walked off. Um, that's that's what you get. So yeah, depending on where you sit, obviously you can, you can you know fans can hear you. And, and, you know, some of them can take exception to what you're saying, but you can also hear fans and our microphones can pick stuff up. But I guess if, you know, if that if there was swearing on our gardening programme on BBC Newcastle, it might be a bit sort of out of place. Not that there is, there isn't any, but at a football match, you know, it's one of the it's one of the things that you may hear. But um, no, it's just a regular sits next to us. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to think that, that yeah. any listeners no, answer, are there to expect that, and they're not going to get well, com- it complaints. Wasn't even, from... It wasn't even the complaints aspect. I just, like I said, just interested in how people use the platform that they have through. Yeah. But no, apart from this Grimsby fan. No yeah, we definitely don't use this platform to swear. <laughs> <laughs> Some people come up to us when we're talking on air and try to have a conversation oh, right. with us, and then you know, you, you, you obviously you're talking, you're on the radio, so you can't you can't really break off from what you're saying to tell people, oh, sorry, we're on, we're on air here because that makes no sense to, to the listener. So yeah, you have to kind of point at your mic and point at your kit and, and then get them to realise and then they scurry off, you know, embarrassed. And yeah, that does happen. Just conscious of time here because we've had you for 40 minutes so far and uh, you've probably not been home for tea yet <laughs> after work. But uh, yeah, the the ongoing contract situation for Rafa and the, the news that, Sai here listened to your break on BBC Radio Newcastle about West Ham just you knowing Rafa as you do and you know working with the club where where do you see this all would you would you if you're a betting man still expect to see Rafa Benitez at Newcastle come August um, I really want to say yes without um, having to qualify it uh, he wants to stay at Newcastle in an ideal world but the sense that you get is that he will stay for this season and for longer if the conditions are right for him because uh, he was not happy last summer. He wasn't happy in January or last January either and he cannot have a repeat of those transfer windows. Basically, he can't have another window like the last three. Um, So that's why he's seeking assurances, guarantees, whatever, because yes, he has another year left on his contract, but he knows that other clubs would want him, and he knows that you know he doesn't need the money personally. Let's put it like that. So why would he need the hassle and the stress of having to do a job that he doesn't want to do in the sense that he doesn't want to just scrape into the top half again? He wants to take Newcastle higher. Now, if the club aren't going to give him the opportunity to do that, why should they rely on his goodwill and his relationship with the fans to keep him here? Because that would only suit them rather than suit him. Apart from his early days in Spain, he's not used to managing teams kind of in the lower section of a, of a league table. And he wants to be back at the top, but he thinks he can do that at Newcastle if he gets sufficient backing and the trust as well to be able to to carry out what he wants to implement. And, and what I mean by that is last summer, he thought he was going to get more money than he did. He thought he was going to have more control in terms of having deals done. So Willy Caballero, the goalkeeper, went to Chelsea from Manchester City on a free. He thought he was that deal was done. But his judgment was questioned. They stalled and he went elsewhere. Now you can see as good as Carl Darlow and Rob Elliott have been at times for Newcastle. And they're both really nice lads as well. Uh, and, and they are good goalkeepers and Rafa Benitez recognises that. But the difference that Martin Dubravka's made is why he wanted a goalkeeper. Um, you know, Sells had to go on loan and Rafa didn't want Tim Krull. And it's, it was things like that. Five weeks for the Florian Lejeune deal to be done when he has a release clause that they know about. Stalling, potentially missing out on, on players if you if you are paying a manager of his caliber the money that you're paying him 
why not trust him to do the best thing for the club? Because he's not here to waste the club's money. He's not going to get everything right. No manager, no chief scout, Graham Carr, got every transfer right. But you would back Rafa Benitez with his contacts and his knowledge to make good signings and get value for money. So I think he feels that he needs to be trusted and backed. And in terms of money, if he says, right, I want X, and the clubs say, well, we can't give you that, we'll give you Y. You know, he would he would work with what the club would give him. He would probably like to do some negotiating and meet in the middle, but he would work with what the club give him if he has the control over how it's spent. So if, and I'm just plucking this figure from, from the sky, if the, if in total there was £90 million there, don't quote me on this, this is not the figure, I don't yeah, know, yeah, yeah. but if he wants three players for 30 million or six for 15, he wants the, the power to be able to go and make those deals happen rather than have to have things referred up to Mike Ashley if it's a big purchase or have his judgment questioned. And that's what I mean. Let him get on with it. Give him, give him the money and give him the power to do what he wants to do. Um, and if they give him a, a reasonable sum of money, because it was only about forty million that they spent on fees last summer, I think maybe a bit more if you add the Marino permanent deal on, and then you let him spend what he brings in, and he could bring in probably fifty million again, maybe more. Then you know that might be enough as long as he can spend it how he wishes. So there are things like that to be sorted out, and then maybe it'll come to the contract. I don't think it makes any sense to sign before the window closes, because then you can see if the club have made good on their promises, which they'll hopefully make to him. Um, but he would like to be here for the long term. Honestly, now I, I think he'll, I think he'll be here because of what he's started already. How much he actually wants to stay, um, but obviously he's not happy with the situation in terms of of the talks. Clearly, he's exasperated. I think is probably a better way of putting it. He would like things to be sorted now, but I think his relationship with the fans is key. And you look at West Ham, out of the frying pan into the fire, in my opinion. Um, I don't know if that's the right fit for him. So I'm sort of erring more towards him staying at Newcastle, at least for this season. But things would need to change and, and need to happen for him to stay for longer. But it's concerning, isn't it? It is, it is, it is worrying that we're in this position for the third year in a row. It- I think I think the, the the words draining to have to go through another summer of this is just it's it's really wearing out. I mean, I think from my perspective, what I'd like to see is that uh, the transfer window opens quite early, doesn't it? It's it's just a week or two away, or is it? Isn't it after the last I think game? It's today, isn't it? Yeah, oh, is it today? Yeah. Um, we should be seeing Dubravka permanently signed any day now. Like that would be a certain of intent. Yeah, okay, you were right about that one. Boom, we've got him in. We should be exactly. It's it's it's, it's a no brainer. We we should also be seeing things like Kennedy. We should be making moves now, making inquiries, asking, is there a chance? Can we can we get a bid in now? And if there was some of that movement going on immediately, you'd feel a bit more reassured that actually, well, the club are going to try and try and make this happen. And if nothing happens and if the Dubravka thing drags on, you're going to think, oh, here we go. So I just want to see some business or something happen before we kind of go on full break after the FA Cup and, and Champions League finals, something that, that says the club are already acting on, on what they need to do to keep keep Rafa here. It's about signalling their intent, isn't yeah. it? And that's what he's talked about as well, about wanting to know that the club shares his vision uh, for the future and, and seeing that they are actually ambitious and want to do more than just finish halfway up the Premier League. Uh, and again, why pay a top manager handsomely if all you want to do is just be a mid-table team, he would say, well, you know, again, just to repeat what I've already, already, you know, mentioned, you've got him there, you know, utilise him and his experience and his ability and he, he can take the club places that it hasn't been for a long time. But you're absolutely right. And, and he, he wanted players in, three or four players last summer before pre-season started. Well, well, that wasn't the case, and I think it was only Atsu who was there the previous year who, who came in. Um, I, I, th- I think with Kennedy, a lot depends on Chelsea. But I take your point about about the principle of actually making, um, you know, making yeah. moves oh, now. Absolutely. And he's got he's, he's got targets. They've got recruitment team and scouts, and you know he'll know who he wants. But if he doesn't know the budget, then th- that that is a problem. So things like that need to be sorted, and they need to be sorted soon because this has opened the door for West Ham. And they've put this statement out tonight, and and I appreciate that when 
you listen to this, this could be out of date and we could all be wrong and he could have signed a new three or four year deal or he could have he, he could have left for somewhere or nowhere. But, you know, they, they, they're obviously sensing that there's frustration at Newcastle, so why not have a go? There's this release clause of about £6 million. Well, Premier League clubs can afford to pay that, can't they? So there's a way for clubs of getting him out of his contract. But he's loyal. He doesn't want to break a contract. And his relationship with the fans has been key. And, and West Ham in particular, um, with that statement, which I think the timing of it's interesting, but perhaps a little mischievous as well, because they know people are talking about Rafa to West Ham. So they put out a statement saying that they want that they're very close to agreeing with a manager or appointing a manager with Premier League and European experience and success at the highest level. Well, Rafa ticks all those boxes, but then so does Arsene Wenger and um, Manuel Pellegrini and Claudio Ranieri, potentially. So um, I think that's a little bit naughty, but you know, if, if things were right here, we wouldn't even be having this conversation, and that's why it's so frustrating. Again, he wants clarity, and it's, you know, three years in a row, they delivered... In 2016, that summer in the championship, last year in Rafa's, you know, feelings it was a disaster. He can't have the same again. But if they can just meet in the middle, then, you know, I think we'll be all right for this year. But it it, it is worrying. But this this will always be here until the club is sold. That's the thing. And and, and, and that's, that's ultimately what I think would change the culture and the approach at Newcastle United. And I think most fans are in agreement on that, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> well said. Uh, finally, to finish off, um, you're not going to Russia. No commentary coming from yourself. No, um, I've been learning Russian for two years. I should have done Spanish, but I started <laughs> learning before. Obviously, I started following Newcastle every week, so um, you know I could, I could probably get around, get by in uh, in Russian. But um, no, I'll be watching it every match. Hopefully, like um, like I'm sure you will. Uh, well, you start off with that intention, don't you? And then when you know you have. I don't know. When we're out after two yeah. games, it gets yeah. less exciting. Well, you have, you know, what, I don't know, what, Senegal against Iran or something, and they're probably not in the same group, and it's it's nil-nil after 80 minutes, and you think, mm, no. But um, no, uh, and our show on BBC Newcastle, um, Total Sports stops tomorrow, Friday night, and then comes back on ahead of the season. So it is the time when things are scaled back a little bit but obviously it doesn't stop because of transfers and and speculation about clubs and things like that so um now the season's finished it feels weird i i never enjoy this first week after the season finishes because you feel like there should be a game at the end of it and there's nothing and we've got the world cup to tide us over but nothing beats you know watching newcastle united every week and following following the club and um, you know, having a game to look forward to. So roll on pre-season in, in July with the friendlies and, and roll on August next year. And, you know, um, let's just hope that the club's in, in, in the right shape to to do that. It, it, you almost can't predict, can you, what it's going to be, what the lineup on the first day of the season is going to be. It's quite fun to try, but, but we all would always get it spectacularly wrong because there's so many unknowns at the minute and so many variables it's a it's a problem, but um, you know it just it just can't come round soon enough. But but the sense of unease about the manager's situation, you know, is is awful, isn't it? It's awful, and 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 that needs to be sorted out first and foremost before you can think about anything about anything else. Just just quickly for me, um, you mentioned before how you, you, one of your questions to Rafa in Spanish was about whether he's going to be taking a holiday. Did he, did he get an answer to that question? Is he going to give himself a break? <laughs> he said, uh, he just said, don't know at the minute. <laughs> yeah, it was a very but short answer. Sometimes you get sometimes you get ten or twenty minutes on Spanish politics uh, <laughs> or um, something that happened at school uh, for him, or you know something about um, Liverpool in the Champions League. Um, or sometimes you just get a, you know, a, a short answer. But um, no, he's again. We all know how lucky we are to have him, and, and let's just hope that he's here for uh, for a lot longer. He certainly would like to be, but the ball's in the club's court. Nice one, Matthew. Thanks very much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again before the next year, which tends to be an annual thing. This. Well, thank you for having me again, and uh, yeah. Um, it's been a pleasure I know this is a very popular podcast 
um, in an increasingly competitive market. So thank you for having me on. <laughs>